Fred was at the end of the line. Uh, He'd been through too much. Uh, Recently, he lost his wife to a horrible, vigorous disease. Uh, They'd only been married a few years, and here he was. He always thought he'd be a dad by now, not a widower. Fred was deeply grieving his wife, but then this week he lost his job. Because Fred knows and loves Jesus, he refused to lie and cheat. He told his boss he wouldn't fudge the numbers on an invoice, and so that was the last day for him. And so this night, as Fred sat all alone in the dark, Fred sat there and cried out, How long, how much more suffering and pain will you put me through, God? Have you ever cried out, how long, to God? Today we're starting a three-week series in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a conversation between God and Habakkuk this bloke who feels injustice and suffering deeply. It's a message that raises some big questions and speaks to our hearts. Now, to quickly set the scene, we don't know much about Habakkuk other than his name. So have a look at verse 1, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. Uh, Last week with Nahum, we were at least told who he was speaking about, the Ninevites. And we were told where Nahum came from, even though these days no one knows where it is. There are also some hints in Nahum's message as to the time frame. We knew it had to be after the invasion of Thebes in 663 BC. We don't get these kinds of details in Habakkuk. Best guess... He was around about the same time as Nahum, maybe a little bit after. Uh, The reason for this, the kind of one historical hint we get in the book is in verse 6. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 6, it talks about the Babylonians, or literally the Chaldeans, which is an older name for the same people. And because, as we'll see, the power of the Babylonians is a surprise, Habakkuk was probably around in the latter part of the 600s BC. So, you know, a bit over 600 years before Jesus, before the Babylonian Empire really got going. Now, I reckon that's the context of Habakkuk, though in many ways his message is timeless. The questions, the complaints he raises with God, they could be raised at any time in history. In fact, I reckon they're questions we will all ask. And the great thing about this part of the Bible is we get to hear God's answer. And although God's answer is specific to a time in history, it does suggest how God answers our question in our time in history. The book begins with, Habakkuk crying out to God, asking his questions. Then God responds. Then Habakkuk has another go. He pushes back against God's answer. Then God replies. So that's the first two chapters. In the third chapter, we read a prayer of Habakkuk. That's the structure of the book. 
uh, back and forth, back and forth, and then a prayer. Today, we're going to listen to the first question, God's answer, and then Habakkuk's response, the way that Habakkuk pushes back against God. So let's get into it. Habakkuk's complaint is one that resonates with us. How long, O Lord? How long are you going to allow violence, evil and corruption to ruin everything? Uh, This is what Habakkuk says. So if you've got your Bible there, we're going to start at verse 2. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in, they surround the righteous so that justice is perverted. You can feel Habakkuk's pain. Verse 2, how long must I call out for help, but you do not listen? This isn't the first time Habakkuk's prayed. Not the first time he's told God what's going on and how he feels. Habakkuk's been banging on the door of heaven and it feels like no one's home. No one's answering. It feels like God's ghosting him. And his complaint isn't little. The word he says over and over again is violence. People are using their power and strength to squash, oppress, hurt, abuse those who are weaker than them. We're not told. It could be that mobs are roaming the streets. Violence in families or the violence of vendettas and revenge. It could be the ancient equivalent of the police abusing their power, or the violence of war. And to add insult to injury, the people whose job it is to stop violence are powerless or corrupt. The law is paralysed. The government, the courts, they're either unwilling or unable to do anything about it. Have you ever been in Habakkuk's shoes? Maybe not so much in his shoes, but on his knees, on your knees before God, crying out for him to do something about the evil in the world or the evil that's not just out there, but it's impacting you directly and personally. You don't have to use much imagination to get what Habakkuk's saying because it's the things we know. We live in a world of violence. Wars, crime, domestic abuse. And it seems the police and courts are are powerless to do anything. Habakkuk shows you can cry out to God. God wants you to bring your questions, your complaints, your cries to him. 
Now, I want to push deeper into Habakkuk's complaint for a moment. I don't think Habakkuk's complaining about things going on in the world. He's not complaining about what the nations, the Gentiles, are doing. The reason I think this is because of God's answer. God's response makes most sense if Habakkuk is talking about God's people. Violence and evil are rife in the people of God. And this makes things, this makes Habakkuk's complaint even more pointed. This isn't about evil people out there, but violence and oppression happening in here. And so as we hear Habakkuk's cry and and we feel it, and we know that we've been there, the first place to apply Habakkuk to our situation, it's not first of all, crying out about injustice in the world. We can do that, but that's not what Habakkuk's doing here at the start of his message. This is crying out about injustice amongst Christians, or at least so-called Christians. And you probably know the stories. Whether it's the big names the celebrity pastors, the the people who are all over our TV and internet whose inappropriate and abusive behaviour makes it into the papers. They don't just shame themselves. We all get dragged in with them, don't they? Don't we? Or maybe it's not the big-name celebrity pastor whose name has been splashed all over our media this last couple of months. You probably know who I'm referring to. It can be deeply personal as well. It's you or one of your friends who has suffered at the hands of a Christian leader. Or maybe you've suffered not at the hands of a leader, but someone you thought could be trusted because they're a believer, but they've hurt you and church leadership did nothing. You probably know the stories. They're on the internet, they're in the media. They're also the stories we know personally with tears. Habakkuk's complaint is about that kind of thing. Violence and evil within the people of God. The stakes are high. Is God going to answer? Or is God himself going to compound the evil? Is he paralysed like the human authorities of verse 4? Well, God responds, and his answer is shocking. He's going to use the Babylonians to end the violence and corruption in God's people. Verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if I told, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. What's the surprise? What's the shock? It might be at the time God answered, the Babylonians were nothing. They weren't a force to be reckoned with. It'd be like God saying to Habakkuk, I'm raising up New Zealand to be the next superpower. Really? But more likely, sorry, Brent and Marika, but more likely, the shock is that God would have anything to do with these ruthless people. Have a listen to what they're like. Verse 7, Habakkuk 1.7. They are a feared and dreaded people. 
They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. The Babylonians have almost supernatural strength. Now, strength itself isn't a problem. If they were gentle giants, if they were strong and kind, God's answer may not have been so shocking. But the terrifying thing is they are strong and they have no conscience. They are cruel and arrogant, verse 10. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Uh, Do you feel the arrogance? Laughing as they crush kings. They'd see the defence of the nations, the walls and armies of God's people, and they think it's a joke. You really think your city walls will do anything against us? And to top it off, they defy God. They're so strong, they believe they're divine. Put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes for a moment. You've been crying out to God about violence, begging him to do something about evil and corruption, and this is the answer you get. More violence. The cure is worse than the disease. And that's how Habakkuk responds. He hears this message from God and he's back on his knees, questioning how on earth God could have done anything, could have anything to do with the Babylonians. How could God be associated with such wickedness? And so in his response, Habakkuk cries out, he shouts back to God, this course of action is not who you are. It doesn't fit with your character. That's the complaint. And he begins by reminding himself, maybe even reminding God of who God is. Verse 12, Habakkuk 1.12. Lord, are you not from everlasting My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Do you get the complaint? How can you use the Babylonians? How can you allow them to conquer the people of God? Yes, there's wickedness in God's people, but we've got nothing on their sinfulness. Look again at verse 13. How can you let the wicked, that's the Babylonians, how can you let them swallow up, conquer, defeat those who are more righteous, the people of God, even with our violence? We're better than them. Habakkuk's complaint cuts deep 
God is holy. His eyes are too pure to even look at evil. So how on earth can he use the Babylonians? How can the Babylonians be the answer to Habakkuk's prayer? This goes against the character, the purity, the holiness of God. And the complaint keeps going. Habakkuk tells God just how horrific the Babylonians are, how contrary to God they are. And so he continues, God is the creator, but the Babylonians are the destroyers. Verse 14, you, he's speaking to God, God, you have made people like the fish of the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. I'm no fisherman. I've not had much luck with a rod and a hook. But the picture here is of a fisherman. And every time he casts, he reels another one in. Over and over again. and But even more than that, he uses a dragnet, indiscriminately catching everything in its path. But we're not talking about fish. This is how Babylon sees the people of the world, the people of God. They're just fish ready to be caught. And the complaint continues. Not only are they brutal and ruthless towards people, they deny God. They've made an idol of their brutality, worshipping the tools of their destruction. Verse 16. Therefore he, that's the king of Babylon or the Babylonian people as a whole, therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, capturing the fish over and over again, destroying nations without mercy? Here's the heart of Habakkuk's complaint. There are two big questions. Verse 17 Is God going to allow the Babylonians to haul in all the people of the earth, including God's own people, Judah? Is God going to let them get away with it? But the deeper question, verse 13, how can God use these evil people in his plans? How can a holy God use evil people? Well, God doesn't answer straight away. But Habakkuk's not going anywhere. Verse 1, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he, God, what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And we're going to leave things at this cliffhanger. We are going to wait with Habakkuk and next week we'll come back and hear God's response. It's worth the wait. This is a serious question. I'm sure most, maybe all of us, we've been through things or we've seen things in the media that have caused us to cry out to God. We've seen things happen there or they've happened to us and we've wondered, what on earth, God, what are you doing? I've done everything right. I've always followed you, God. So why am I suffering, especially at their hands? Fred, at the start, felt this, suffering from death and then at the hands of his dishonest boss. 
What does Habakkuk teach us? How does this speak to our hearts and souls? I've got three things I want us to draw out. Uh, The first thing Habakkuk tells us is you can cry out to God. You can raise your complaints to God. The book of Psalms is full of these kinds of complaints or prayers. Uh, They're often called laments, broken hearts, crying out to God. For some of us, we hear Habakkuk's question of God and we think he's impetuous. Who, Who are we, who are you, Habakkuk, to talk back to God? Isn't that against faith and trust and obedience and submission to God? But crying out to God, complaining to God, is exactly what faith in God looks like. The opposite of faith would be to run from God in those times. It would be to give up on God, to run from him with your questions. True faith wrestles with the difficult questions. Faith takes our questions and complaints to God. And like Habakkuk, sometimes the answer requires waiting and crying out, how long? The first thing Habakkuk teaches us is we can cry out to God. True faith turns to God in those times, not from him. The second thing Habakkuk teaches us is God uses means. God could have fixed the problem of violence and corruption in his people by clicking his fingers. You could have just, there we go, all gone, fixed, next. But that's not what we see God do in the Bible. God uses means. Even miracles are often described quite naturally. For example, Moses and crossing the Red Sea in Exodus. Why could the Israelites cross on dry land? The Bible says it was because of a strong east wind. Uh, Was this God's doing? Yes. But God used the natural means of the wind. God uses the means of the Babylonians to bring his justice and judgment. Though Habakkuk raises a much more difficult question than the Red Sea. The issue isn't just that God uses means to bring about justice. But wicked people? How could God use evil people for his purposes? And if God does this, does that mean he himself is guilty of their sin? It's a big question. And this is just the beginning of an answer. Part of the answer is God didn't twist the Babylonians' arms. Uh, Verses 10 to 11 make this super clear. The Babylonians are proud and arrogant in themselves. They love to violently conquer. God didn't have to break their will to raise them up. They willingly swept across the earth, including Judah and Jerusalem. God isn't guilty of their sin, even whilst he uses their sinfulness for his purposes. We heard the same thing in our reading from James this morning. I only thought about it as we we're hearing it from James, so I haven't got it up on the screen. But it says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person 
is tempted, when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. The Babylonians didn't need to have their arms twisted to be arrogant and proud. They, they, they wanted to be that. They, they loved to do what they did. God isn't guilty of their sin, even whilst he uses their sinfulness for his purposes. A place we see, we see this really clearly is the cross of Christ. Uh, we heard this only a few weeks ago in Acts 2. This man, this is Peter, speaking to the crowd there on the day of Pentecost. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Why was Jesus crucified? Because it was God's eternal plan. Why was Jesus crucified? Because wicked men killed him. Both are true at the same time. The greatest evil in the world, killing God the Son, is at the same time the eternal plan and purpose of God and the greatest evil in the world. This is a difficult thing to get our heads around. That the holy and pure God is able to use even sinful means for his own purposes. Very hard to get our head around. It's actually really good news. If God wasn't in control even of evil, then there's no recourse. If God isn't even in control, why bother even crying out to him? If God's answer about the coming of the Babylonians was, oh, well, sorry, nothing to do with me. I can't do nothing. If God is not in control, then chaos and evil is. There's no comfort if our loving Father is not in control. But because the holy and pure God is in control, we can call evil what it is. People talk about this dilemma, they call it the problem of evil, and it is a problem. How can an all-powerful and all-good God allow evil Sometimes people raise this question as a defeater. I can't believe in the God of the Bible because of this problem. But the atheist option is much worse. If there is no God, then there's still suffering. The Babylonians of this world still come in and invade your land. But you can't actually name it as evil. It just is. In fact, you would have to say that the Babylonians are just doing what they should, weeding out the weak so the strong can survive. This is a complex question, a complex issue. But the God of Habakkuk, the God we meet in the cross of Christ, doesn't shy away from these hard questions. And that God is there, gives us comfort, even in the midst of these very difficult not just hypothetical, theoretical questions, but these issues that hit our heart when we are suffering. So two things so far to take home from Habakkuk. Faith means to cry out, even complaining to God. A second, God uses means, even evil people, for his own purposes, without himself being corrupted, and this is a comfort. A third thing, God uses wicked people for his own ends. 
I'm just really just driving home uh, what I've just said in point two, the, the second part of point two. But I mentioned earlier recent scandals. Uh, Christian leaders abusing power for their own ends. Christians doing all sorts of things and church leaders doing nothing. The kinds of things Habakkuk was crying out about and maybe you have too. This is making it pretty personal and pretty stark, but too often the person who breaks the scandal, who calls out the injustice and gets something to happen, is not a Christian. That's been the case with the many clergy abuse scandals. It wasn't Christians who blew the whistle on what, in particular, I mean, in a large factor it was the Catholic priest, but plenty have happened in Protestant churches too. It wasn't Christians who blew the whistle. It's brave journalists and not Christian ones. Or very recently, you may know the sad story, the sad end of the story of Ravi Zacharias, a world-renowned preacher and debater. While he was alive, there was a scandal because he puffed up his credentials, making him sound more academically accomplished than he actually was. And there was an accusation of an inappropriate relationship. And even more came out after his death... The original accusations, the original scandals, many Christians ignored them. We shoved them under the rug because, I think, because they were reported by a self-proclaimed atheist journalist. And as far as it appears, I'm not claiming omniscience on this, as far as it appears, this atheist journalist was used to shine light into the darkness. Sometimes God uses shocking, surprising means to bring about his purposes, to shine light into the darkness. And we need to see that light even when it comes from, from, from corners we don't expect, that we don't like. What's God saying to us today through Habakkuk? You can cry out to God. We can raise our complaints and questions to God and God may well use unlikely, even sinful people for his purposes. And we can trust him in this because he is eternally our holy and pure God. Let's pray. Father God, we cry out to you. There is so much injustice, violence, and oppression in the world, and even amongst churches. Like Habakkuk, we cry out to you to act. End what is evil and wrong. Bring justice. Help us know you are the holy, eternal, just God. We know you will act, sometimes even in shocking ways. Please do this for your glory's sake. Amen.